Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and this is the Uncharted Podcast. Guys, we got an absolutely great one today. It's from the mailbag. We got an email from Sad Grad who got uh, his or her dream job and uh, now they're thinking it's not that and when do you quit your dream job. This is a really good episode. It talks on a lot of different topics uh, about what makes a good job, about bringing new graduates into your practice, about creating a good supportive work environment, about getting what you want out of your job. It's uh, it's fun. There's a lot of really good stuff here, um, and it, it feels very different from a lot of our regular episodes. I just think we get into some territory that we don't often get into, so I hope that you'll really enjoy it. If you are enjoying the podcast and you're like, I love this, number one, uh, we love an honest review on iTunes. That is awesome sauce but you know what's even more awesome sauce is you and your lovely face at the get shit done conference which is coming up in october head over to unchartedvet.com and you can learn all about it and check it out it is a virtual conference but it is not like other virtual conferences it is super interactive we're going to talk about your practice we're going to work on your stuff you're going to leave with actual things that you can do uh, you're gonna you're gonna leave inspired. You're gonna leave supported. You're gonna leave fired up. I know you've been busting your butt over the summer. I know it's been crazy in your practice. I'm telling you uh, now that we're coming into the fall. Let's get our head straight. Let's get efficient. Let's get cleaned up. Let's get ready to go. Let's get ready to rock and roll and kick butt and uh, and to make life easy. Get shit done. Let's talk about time management. Let's talk about efficiency. Let's talk about inventory. Let's talk about what it takes just to wrap this practice thing up in a nice little bundle so we can go home and be happy. UnchartedVet.com. Check it out. I'd love to see you there. And with that, let's get into this episode. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me. It's <laughs> Stephanie. I'm going to cry, cry, cry. 96 tears, Goss. <laughs> well, that's a good one. I like it. It's, it's yeah, we haven't, we haven't gotten into into the like 60s music very much i gotta do that <laughs> i love it I, I uh i love 60s music the 60s on six is my favorite uh radio channel in yes my car i never had satellite radio until i got my new car and uh that's my favorite i actually grew up um my older brother was uh the overnight dj at the oldie station in town when i was growing up and really so, I grew up uh, staying up late on Friday and Saturday nights listening to my brother's show and uh, listening to all of the oldies music. So I'm an oldies music junkie. So that, uh, I love that intro. That might be my favorite one you've done, done so oh, far. Oh, man. Now, <laughs> I have this picture in my mind now of you with, like, hanging out with the overnight, you know, uh, local radio station. It's kind of like a Grease thing. Like, that's what I'm <laughs> Uh, yep, I was I was the kid sister who desperately wanted to be as cool, and uh, you know I thought that it was so awesome when I could go to school, and because that back then, right, we uh, they used to do dedications on the radio, and that was a huge thing, and um, we still had tape decks, and so I remember having sleepovers with my girlfriends, and we would call it, and we would make dedications to our friends at school. Of course, he would throw them in, but we would sit there and record on a blank tape the show so that we could bring the tape to school and play it for our friends so they could hear their name on the radio. And then we would have cool points and, and, you know, so yeah, that was, <laughs> I was a super nerd as a kid. <laughs> no, I, I, love it. I drove up to my parents' house this last weekend and my wife and I, uh, sixties on six 
and seventies on seven. Like I don't, yeah. I don't listen to them all that much, but every now and then, like I'll be driving somewhere a long way and they will just get on a roll and I'll yeah. just listen to like, you know what I mean? When you're like, man, every song they play is great. And I'll listen to hours and hours. I never thought I was going to have satellite radio until I moved to Greenville. And there's this guy who is a car dealer and his name is Jay Gilstrap with the, with the Gilstrap auto dealerships. And he owns the truck form of easily. And he buys all the airtime. I mean, oh, he, yeah. you know what I mean? He's on every radio station and he just yells at you. Oh, and, and I wonder how many people have satellite radio in our area because just of that. They don't have to listen to it. I, I, honestly, yeah. my wife, is like, I can't take it. I can't, <laughs> can't take it. You know, and so we had we both had satellite radio because literally only because of that one guy that's on every commercial break of every station yelling. And I wonder how many people like that there are across the country. That's so funny. I <sighs> yeah. I you know, it's one of those things. I got it because you know, when you when you buy a car, I didn't I never had a new car, but um we uh my husband had a new car a few years ago and it comes with, you know, the six months free and then you get hooked on it. And then you're like, I don't take away my nineties on nine. Don't take away my sixties on six, man. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's genius. It really is the drug deal of like totally hey, the first, the first, the first one's free, you it know? Totally is. And then it you're totally like, is. I can't go back to rotting my brain with the truck farm of easily commercials. <laughs> All right, so now that we've talked about uh, oldies and satellite radio, the <laughs> whole point of this, let's give them something <laughs> worth hearing. The whole point of your intro was sad, sad tears because we have an email from the mailbag that involves a very sad grad. I um, and I am like super excited name, about they this. They gave themselves a pseudonym, Sandra. Right? <laughs> I love uh, it. I knew I was like, yep, I love this. <laughs> Um, okay, so this one came to us. It's a, um, they named themselves. Sad Grad says, I am a veterinarian who graduated this uh, last year. Shortly after graduation, I began practicing at the only clinic in my hometown. I've worked uh, with this clinic for a long time. Um, you know, I, I have interviewed plenty of grads who go to vet school and before they do, there's a clinic in their town and they're the kennel kid or they're the kid that's their during summer breaks. I think this is a really common story. And I think this is going to be another one of those episodes where people are like, wait, are they talking about me? Yeah, they, they've got talking about me, right? <laughs> um, but anyways, sad grad has worked with this clinic for a long time. Uh, pr prior to vet school, they have, um, it's a multi-site practice and each uh, location is small. There's only one doctor working at each location. Uh, sad grad was hired to be come a second doctor at the locations a couple of days a week. So going from one doctor practice to a two doctor practice. And within a few months of graduation, one of the doctors left the practice. And so sad grad became the solo primary doctor at one of the locations and has been there pretty much alone ever since. And they said, well, I continue to be very grateful for the opportunity. I also feel like I'm flying by the seat of my pants 24-7. I worry that I'm not growing as a doctor because I don't have anyone to learn from. I love this clinic. I love my team and my employer. But I feel extremely overwhelmed. 
So please, Stephanie and Dr. Andy, when is it okay to quit your dream job just because you aren't getting any mentorship? Sincerely, sad grad. Okay. I, I wonder how many people out there did this. I spotted this uh, three sentences in when they were like, I was hired to be the second doctor at right. two of the practices. I was like, oh, I see where this is going. <laughs> you know? I'm not yeah. I'm not saying this was pre-planned of like, oh, we'll get somebody else in and then we'll, you know, and then we'll have coverage when so-and-so leaves. But I do suspect that there, uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised if one of the veterinarians there was kind of thinking about leaving and then the second doctor at one location was like, oh, great. Now when I leave, they'll have somebody to cover this hospital and I can be you know, I can leave without feeling guilty. And so yeah. I wonder if this grad coming in opened the door for someone to go ahead and leave. Uh, whether or not people knew that was going to happen, I have no idea. But um, this is not remotely surprising. No. And I think both you and I are like, how does this happen? But I think you and I both acknowledge that this is not an unfamiliar tale. Um, I know, I know, I know so many veterinarians who started their job straight out of school and either, uh, you know, like you just said, signed on, which then premeditated or not made another doctor go, okay, now it's time I can bounce because they've got somebody else. They don't have to worry about it. Or they went to a solo practitioner practice to become the second vet. And even, uh, you know, some of them got weeks, but some of them got days before the practice owner was like, okay, now I'm going to go on vacation and you're on your own for the next month, you know? Yeah, I, I've heard. I've literally heard stories, and I can't remember who told me this, but I vividly remember the story of this person rolling up on their first day, and the boss rolling down his truck window and handing them the keys as yeah. they drove the other direction away. And like, oh man, like that's such an old school vet story, but uh, it still happens. Well, and I think I think part of how it happens is that. Um, as a solo practitioner, because I've I've worked with with one doctor practices, um, you know, up to multi doctor practices, and and when you have a one doctor practice, it in a, in some ways it's a, easier to hire um, another veterinarian. In some ways, it's significantly harder. Don't get me wrong, mm -hmm. but one of the ways that it's easier is that you only have one main doctor personality to try and match up against a new a, another candidate and so oftentimes in solo practitioner um, environments they meet someone and they hit it off and there's a vibe and it becomes very easy to be like very excited about the possibility of getting to work with this other person because you've clicked and you've connected and and it is also very easier for that solo practitioner to be like you know I really like this person I think they have potential I'm going to go out on a limb and trust this because I need, I need a break because mm -hmm. I've been doing it 24 seven and, and they may or may not be honest about that. The best, the best scenario is when they're honest and in the interviewing process, they tell you, look, I am at my breaking point. I am going to have to take time off within the first 30 days of you starting. How can we structure that so that it works for you and you won't feel like I've, <laughs> I've left you all alone and you're drowning. Um, but worst case scenario, they spring it on people. Like I, this is not an unfamiliar uh, tale, and it's really, it's really sad. Yeah, I, the the two things that I always say to to recent graduates, and, and honestly, and senior vet students, people who are going on the world, 
Um, talk is cheap, and people hear what they want to hear. And I think that those are two realities of the human condition. And when I say talk is cheap, I, I tend to believe that veterinarians and, and people who work in vet clinics are overwhelmingly good, moral, honest people. Like, I, I just, I have found that. I, I just believe that. I, it's, I just believe it. Yeah. Uh, I believe that they're overwhelmingly good, honest, moral people. I don't think it's anyone's intention to lie to, you know, mislead someone to come and take a job. I think it's very easy to say, yeah, you know what? I mean, yeah, there's ownership opportunity here. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could see, you know, I'm not as young as I used to be, and I'll be looking for somebody to take the practice over, you know, and those things are true in their mind in that moment. Right. When they haven't run the numbers to determine, can I actually can retire? retire? In 10 right. years? Like, is that is that really right. going to happen? When they have no idea what, you know, the market will be, that there'll be some corporate right. group that wants to buy them. You know, like, they, just, they don't know. And so it's easy just to say when it's not an immediate real thing. Oh, yeah, I mean, I could see a ownership potential here or yeah you know you'll be a second doctor and we'll hire i mean i'd love to hire a third or fourth doctor and then we hear what we want to hear which means the the graduate coming in goes i can be an owner in five years and there'll be three four doctors here and you know and wow this sounds amazing and they hear that and what they don't hear is well you know i i'm not opposed to that and we'll see what happens and you know who knows and there's a million variances that we can't foresee right talk is cheap and people hear what they want to hear um and, and the same thing on the practice owner side is what you know when a when a young vet says well you know i i try to try to work very independently and i, I you know i want to be a very competent independent doctor when right. the practice owner's like oh she's totally comfortable working by herself right. That's that's not what she said. That's what you wanted to hear. But that's not exactly what she said. What she said is, I am, I am hoping to become a doctor that can work very independently. But your idea of independent may be me in a building by myself. My idea of independent is me and two other doctors all seeing cases completely independently and rarely bouncing things off of each other. Just, just to check you know what I mean and those are very different ideas of what independent means yeah and I think this is where um you know from the how does this happen side I think that this is where we often fall short on both sides um both the interviewer and the interviewee of needing to do a better job vetting for fit because if we don't ask questions that really help figure out what is the practice owner's perception of working independently and what is the new grad's perception of working independently? It is very common to have two different uh, definitions there. I um, have experienced it more and more because I have noticed um, a great trend where the vet schools are doing a great job of um, teaching the students about the concept of mentorship Mm-hmm. and uh, acknowledging the fact that there has traditionally been a lack of support system when they fly the nest of vet school and go out into their their individual practices. There are a lot of practices that don't have a, a support program. And so the vet students are asking the great question um, about, do you, ha- you know, do you have mentorship in your practice? But if the question from the gra- new grad or the vet student is, do you have a mentorship program in your clinic, um, that what's the first thing that they teach you about 
um, talking to clients in exam rooms, you got to start with open-ended questions. Mm -hmm. And that is 100% not an open-ended question because you're just letting a practice owner or practice manager say, oh, yes, yeah, we have a plan. We have a plan. And if you're not asking them for more information, you're shooting yourself in the foot before you even start. Right. Yeah. The other the other thing that makes this really hard for new vets particularly, like sad grad here, mm-hmm. um, it's you can't know yourself in your first day as a veterinarian. You just yeah. you just don't and you shouldn't know yourself the first day as a veterinarian. You know what I mean? If um, if you had been a veterinarian for a number of years, you might say to that person when they say, hey, Dr. So-and-so is leaving. We're going to need you to move out to, um, you know, to the, you know, I don't know, the faraway practice. And you might say to them, I don't want to do that. I'm not interested in working alone at the faraway practice. I'll do it for a month until you can get somebody else in. But after a month, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to do it. <laughs> And you just, and you say it and you mean it because you know, you don't want to do it. Um, yeah. I, I say, I think you can do that when you've been a vet for a while and maybe you've done this before and been like, I've been down that road. I'm not doing it again. Um, I think that's clear boundaries that setting expectations is like, you know, I'm not a solo doctor and I don't want to be, and that's not what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing yeah. wrong with it. Just not what I'm doing. Um, yeah. when you're a brand new grad, you've never done it before. And I think that saying, I'm not going to do this thing I've never done before. I, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I don't think that that should be, I don't think that should be the case. Uh, I think it's harder for uh, the new grads to say, I'm a brand new grad. I have no idea. Uh, and I just, and I want to get along and I want to learn. And so I, they sell me to go out there. So I'm just going to go out there and, and do it. And I, I think that that's how um, a lot of younger grads end up pinched because they just don't know themselves enough to right. say clearly at the very beginning, I'm not comfortable with this, or I don't like this, or I'm willing to do this for the short term. But just so you know, this is not how I want to work. Um, yeah. And and I think on the flip side, too, I think we have a burden of responsibility as managers and practice owners to ask better questions of the candidates that we're interviewing to try and figure out um, some of those basics of who they are, because they don't they don't know themselves very well. They're out of a school environment. Going into practice is radically different. Um, But I think you have to ask some questions to try and figure out, um, you know, people have been in a learning environment for years now coming out of vet school. They should have a pretty good idea of how they learn. Are they, you know, are they the kind of person who has to take notes? Are they the kind of person who has to have someone to bounce ideas off of and work with a partner? Do they... Do they um, do better as a visual learner? Are they an auditory learner? Those kind of things, they may not they may not be able to tell you whether they would thrive in a solo environment in practice or not because they've never experienced that. Right. But there are definitely markers that you as a practice owner or practice manager could ask questions that would give you more information to figure out, is this going to be the kind of um, new grad who is going to be super fastidious with their records and they're going to need an hour to do every appointment because they really want to follow through and look at the nitty gritty of every case. Or is this someone who feels like I've had, maybe they've had prior management experience and they feel comfortable leading the team or we have to do a better job of kind of trying to elicit some of that information from our candidates before we put them into situations 
Um, I, th- I feel like this is where we really fail in particular new grads on a, on a regular basis. And so I think they, they have a responsibility to know a little bit about themselves, know what they're looking for, what they, what they want, or be really honest about the fact that they have no idea what they are looking for or what they want. And this is just a first stop for them to try and figure that out. I think there's nothing wrong with that. And I think a lot of new grads look at it, you know, when a practice owner says, well, what would you, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? They feel pressured to have this answer of like, I want to be a practice owner and this is my plan. And the reality is you're just coming out of school. It is perfectly okay to say, I have no idea where I'm going to be 12 months from now, but I would love to make a 12 month commitment to you Um, And I think that they're afraid to do that because they're afraid to sandbag themselves. But I would much rather have a new grad who knows a little bit about themselves to say, I don't know what I want, but these are the things that I'm looking for and make that decision. Even if it means I know that they won't be with us forever, I would rather know that than have a, have them tell me what they think I want to hear and have it actually not be a fit at all for what I'm looking for in my practice. Yeah. So to summarize, you know, we said, you know, how does this happen? How do we get into these positions? Talk is cheap. People hear what they want to hear. New yeah. graduates can't be expected to n- really know themselves uh, as doctors yeah. because they yeah. just haven't. They don't have the experience yet. And none of us really, we just can't imagine. Sometimes you have to get in there and say, oh, I'm good at this or I like this or I really don't like this. And I, I don't know that that new graduates know that because they haven't practiced. Uh, to yeah. your point, there's a there's a a limitation sometimes in how we interview and the openness about what we're looking for and what we're comfortable with when, when we interview. The other thing I would say is there are some people, and I've been in this boat for sure, loyalty is is a big thing for me. I When I take a job, I don't want to let people down. And sometimes right. that is to my own detriment because I feel like I'm doing something wrong if I come to you and say, you know what, I'm not happy here. I'm going to leave. I feel like I told you I would be here and you got all excited about it. And now if I leave, then I'm quitting, you know what I mean? Or I'm somehow wronging you. Who's this person who gave me this opportunity? And, uh, and that's, that's loyalty. And I see a lot of people who deal with that. And I, I've struggled with that, um, at, at times. And so I, I do think that we, sometimes that does trip people up from having honest conversations. When, the, when someone says, Hey, I need you to go be a solo doctor we have a hard time saying, I'm not going to do that <laughs> because we feel yeah. like we've been given this opportunity and we need to do what's asked of us. Um, so, so I think loyalty is a, is a big, big part of it is trying to balance what, um, what we have committed to mm-hmm. versus what is best for us. And I think that that's mm-hmm. a, that's a hard struggle sometimes. And the last, yeah, the last thing is there's a lot of veterinarians who, started out this way, you know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of this sink or swim. And and what I would say too is, um, I think it's very possible. I mean, I think, especially, I I think it takes a certain type of person Mm -hmm. to say, I'm going to figure this out Mm -hmm. and I have the confidence to go and try and just, I'll, you know, I'm just going to work through it and I will call the other clinic when I need insight. I think there are people who can very much do that and be Mm -hmm. good doctors. I think there's a lot of us who who don't have that level of confidence and who are just yeah. eaten up by anxiety over that idea. And I would also say that vet school has changed over the years as medicine has gotten more and more advanced, but vet school has not gotten longer. Um, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. We have, we're dabbling in a lot, a lot of things. I don't know that 
grads today. This is not a slam. I don't know that grads today or grads 10 years ago, myself included, have um, the reps, the repetitions that doctors who came out 25 years ago, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, that, that, you know, that they do when they weren't looking at MRIs as part of their radiology class and they weren't doing abdominal ultrasounds and they weren't talking about stem cell therapy, you know, like, I, I just, I, I don't know. Um, but, but that's, that's something I kind of roll around in my head is I, I'm just not convinced that every vet today coming out is built in a way that they can just be thrown in by themselves and have the confidence to say, I'm, I'm a doctor, I have a degree, I'm going to figure this out. Well, and I think to your point about the change in, change in, um, just the medicine in and of itself, we've also had a cultural change. And so, you know, there, I think, um, even, you know, getting close to 20 years ago, when I started in practice, the doctors that I was working with um, went to vet school at a time where it very much was, you know, the, the, the raised by wolves, like you, mm-hmm. you go out and you want to, you, you want to see it all. And so you open up, you, you know, your own clinic and you stick your shingle out there and you just figure out how to make it work. Um, and it perpetuated this culture and this environment that, um, was very much trickled down to the team too. It was like, you know, we're all going to figure this out together. Mm-hmm. And um, when I started, there was very much an environment in practice from the doctors to the kennel staff where you had to think independently and you had to figure it out on your own. Um, and there wasn't formal, you know, mentorship programs and training programs and stuff. And I think culturally, we have learned so much and grown so much in a very positive way um, in that time frame. And at the same time, there are still a lot of environments out there that have not made that cultural shift. And so I think that there's, um, I have seen a lot of values misalignment between younger, especially the millennial um, new grads and not new grads who were maybe second life career choice grads who are older um, when they start vet school, but the younger new grads who all they've wanted to do is be a veterinarian and they went straight to school and they're coming out. They know who they are as people and they have very, uh, uh, they have very solid opinions on what they want in terms of work life balance and uh, the lifestyle that they want to live. And often there's a values misalignment between a practice and a candidate in terms of what they want but I think people see the pool as so shallow and don't often um, speak up about really what it is that they're looking for to try and find that fit. And so I think it I think it um, I think it very much is true that the vet school has changed. But I also uh, think that the environment in which they're moving out into in terms of practice has changed radically. Um, and then I think that there are a lot of them that are interviewing in places where the culture hasn't changed as much. And so it's even harder to ask those questions um, and really try and find a good fit for them because they don't want to see be seen as, you know, hippie woo woo asking about what's the practice culture or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what kind of work-life balance does your team have that, that still has the stigma to a lot of the older veterinarians of being very, you know, hippie woo woo. <laughs> Yeah. So oh, yeah. it's really, it's really sad because you could, I absolutely firmly believe that you can have an older school veterinarian who thrives with a new grad, but there has to be really good communication about what they both want and the willingness to create a new environment together. And if no one is asking the questions, you'll never get there. Yeah, I, I agree. Okay, cool. That's how, that's how this happens. 
you know, I, I think that that's how we get set up mm-hmm. in these in these positions. Um, I think it's easy to see uh, how a combination of those things or uh, even individual factors like that can can make this happen. All right, let's let's get sad grad out of this. Um, headspace. We always start at headspace. Here's the thing that I would I would say to sad grad right now as uh, he or she says, um, when is it okay to quit your dream job because you aren't getting any mentorship? Um, you know, as we look at this job and we look at this position and sad grads out in a practice by, we'll say, we'll say herself. Um, <clears throat> I think of the, about the parable of the farmer, which is one that I used a lot when COVID started out. And the parable of the farmer is this, you know, thousand year old Chinese parable where there's a farmer and, um, and he, uh, has a horse and one day his horse runs away and the neighbor comes over and says, Oh, this is so horrible. It's the worst thing that could happen. This is terrible for you. And the farmer said, well, maybe it is. And maybe it isn't. And then a couple of days later, the horse comes back and the horse brings uh, another horse with it. And now they got, now the farmer's got two horses and, and the farmer says, well, this is, or the neighbor says, this is wonderful. So great. You're so lucky. And the farmer said, well, maybe I am. And maybe I'm not. And uh, a couple of weeks go by and his son is riding the new horse and the horse kind of rears up all of a sudden, throws the son off and, breaks his leg badly and the neighbor says this is terrible your farm is ruined you've lost your best helper and this is so awful and again the farmer's like well maybe it's awful and maybe it's not a couple days later the emperor comes through rounding up men to go to war to fight an intruding you know horde and uh all the men in town are taken but the son is spared because his leg is broken and then almost all the men are killed in battle and so you know it just it just keeps going like that and it's sort of like sometimes things that look terrible are not and sometimes things that look wonderful are not and yeah yeah and that's that's what i would say i would say to a graduate who said i just got sent out to work by myself and i you know what do i do and what I would say is, go see. You know, maybe this is the worst thing that happened to you. Maybe it's not. Maybe there'll be another vet hired and you'll move back in a month. You know, maybe maybe you won't. I don't think that, um, I don't think that panicking is the answer, right? Like, let's not overreact. Let's not panic. Let's, you've got a degree. Let's go, let's go do this work and see what it is. And when we've done the work and we see what's happening, then we can make some decisions. But you know what I mean? I think a lot of times people go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm being asked to do this thing. Uh, you know what? Maybe it's awful and maybe it's not. Right. But let's, let's before we really throw down, let's, let's just give it a chance and see what we see, see what happens. Yeah, totally. Totally. The next thing is, uh, I mean, so that, that's headspace for me, right? Is I'm not going to say you have got to get out of there. Like, I don't know. Like, let's, right. I, I don't, I don't know. Well, and I think, I think, um, you know, I think even though the question was posed as when is it okay to quit your dream job because you're not getting any mentorship? I think the fact that sad grad is asking is acknowledging that this environment is not working for them. Doesn't mean that the end result is, has to be them leaving. It could just be a shift in, uh, mindset enough to ask for what they need and maybe the practice can a- accommodate that and maybe they can't but I don't think that the you know I, I think one of the choices is you could jump to the end result and say 
there's no way out of this. Nothing's going to change. I'm going to leave. Or you could ask more questions. And I think yeah. that's an important part about the headspace is like, if you're at that point where you have made up your mind, then no, there's nothing wrong with saying this is, this is not a fit for me. I'm going to leave. My question to you as a, as a manager would be, well, have we tried everything that we can try? Because if the answer is no, then I'm not a quitter. And most vet students aren't quitters. If you guys have right. survived <laughs> everything you survived in vet school and you're a year out, you're not a quitter. And so, uh, right. you know, why, why would you quit now is kind of the question. No, I, I agree with that. I guess, I guess, I guess my point with the parable of the farmer is, um, I wouldn't decide that this is catastrophic in the end of the world the first right. day that it happened. You know what I mean? Right. Like just yep. try try to keep try to keep the option open in your mind that this might work out just fine. Um at the yeah. same time, you're exactly right. That does not mean uh just ex- accept accept your fate. I, I guess I guess that's 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 very much it. It's um it's very much about like, okay, w- what what can we what can we do? The other thing I want to talk about with headspace is, is I want to talk to the owner manager here for, for a while too. So let me, let me put this in because I think that there's two sides of this equation. Of course, I think that there's probably a lot of owners and managers out there who are not liking this episode so far. And they say, you know, Andy and Stephanie are saying, if you get asked to do something you don't want to do, then you, you leave, you know, or you quit or you, or you just say, I'm not going to do that. And that might make them upset. And I get that. Right. The truth is there's always balance, right? We need people who work for us sometimes to do things that they don't want to do for the good of the team, right? Mm-hmm. We all have to sometimes do things we don't want to do or make sacrifices to make the, the practice work and to fulfill our ob- obligation to pets and to the community and things like that, right? Like mm-hmm. we can't all just say, I'm not doing this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do exactly what I want to do. Mm-hmm. That, that's not what I'm advocating here. What I am saying to the practice owners and managers out there if you have something like this where the person is a new grad and they don't want to work by themselves, um, you're not going to make them, <laughs> you know, right. uh, we, we're in a labor market where veterinarians are in high demand right. and there's a lot of people that would love to hire those vets. And if they don't want to work alone and you say, suck it up, buttercup, you're going out there to work alone, they're going to quit. And so it is in your interest to listen to them right. and say, okay, these are the realities. How can we support you? And now we're back to where you were talking about, Steph, which is in the middle of, are there things that can happen? Are there ways that we can be supported? Perhaps the idea is not, hey, this vet is going to go full-time and work by themselves. Maybe what needs to happen, even though the owner might not like it, Maybe the faraway clinic is only going to be open three days a week. Right. And, yep. mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and our vet is going to work um, as a second vet somewhere else the other days. Maybe right. we're going to have some kind of a rotation where, um, where new grad is out there two days a week and other vets are out there other times. And, you know, uh, I, I don't know. But that that's my point is I don't want I don't want anybody to fall in this idea of it's either or new grad goes to far away clinic and works alone or new grad quits and leaves. I think that those are myopic approaches to this problem. And everybody benefits when we have open conversations about what we need. 
Well, and I think that to to your point um, about needing to talk about managers and practice owners, Andy, I, I agree. And I think that one of the things that we do really well as managers and owners is that we tend to uh, catastrophize, even mm-hmm. if we do it internally, but we hear something and it's immediately like, okay, what is the worst case scenario here? And that's where our minds go. It's just a natural tendency of the anxiety that we carry around with us. But for for me, if I was a practice owner working with sad grad, I would think, okay, well, if I don't make them happy, uh, they are going to leave. But the other thing that I think that we have to think about is it doesn't have to be permanent. Like the the end result is baby doctors all grow up at some point. And so if we make short-term changes to support them and nurture them and give them a good learning environment, they have the ability to flourish far faster than if we don't. And if we can make short-term changes that are, are reasonable accommodations to help keep someone happy why would we not consider that for the long-term gain? And unfortunately, so many practice owners that I've worked with and, and practice managers look at it from the perspective of, oh God, this is going to be the end of my dream of leaving the mm-hmm. practice because they're saying they can't work alone. And that's, you know, this is the kind of practice environment where they're always going to have to work alone. And so this is just never going to work. That is a very short-sighted way to look at it from my perspective. And so, you know, I think it's, it's hard, right? Cause when we're, I've been there and when we're in that environment, it's like, holy crap, you, you know, you're, you're asking in the middle of summer to not work by yourself. And we've got clients coming in at all the locations and, oh my God, how do we deal with that? Okay. So maybe the answer is not, we start this right now. Maybe it's having an honest conversation about like, look, our books, thanks to COVID are booked four weeks out. I can't make any changes for two months. I can agree that we can sit down and talk about what changes we could make in November. You know, I, I don't, that's where I think a lot of us often cut off our nose to spite our face. And, and we really have to think about it in terms of, can we make short-term sacrifices that really enable the long-term benefits and gains for both sides? Yeah, I, I think that's true. I, I think that people don't realize the power in setting some deadlines along the way. Mm-hmm. I think what really drives vets to quit, and you can see it in sad grad, is mm-hmm. this idea of forever. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Sad grad is yes. not like, hey, Andy and Stephanie, I have to go work by myself for two months and I don't think I can make it. Sad right. grad's concern, and I'm I'm extrapolating here from what's written, but sad grad's concern is I'm going to work by myself forever and I'm not going to improve as a doctor and my right. growth is going to cap out and I'm not going to reach my potential. And, you know, and they're sort of catastrophizing down the road of this is going to impact me forever and it's not going to end. And right. so I, again, I think, I think it's brilliant that you say that. And I think a lot of times in the moment, we don't think about those little things to say, we are booked up until November. Do this until November, and in the meantime, I will figure out everything I can to get you out of this. You know what I mean? I will do everything I can to hire another vet. I will. We we will figure out a mentorship program. I will try to figure out how to rotate another doctor out to where you are. You know what I mean? I will do. I will give you the most experienced technician that we have in our entire organization across all of our hospitals. Because honestly, you can learn a lot from your technicians. Mm-hmm. And so in those two months, 
you are going to work with our best technician, which is a growth and learning experience. Don't think it's not, you know what I mean? But, but I can make this palatable in a lot of ways, but having that, that, that voice of this is not forever. We're going to go this far and I'm going to do everything I can, but I need some time to make something happen. I think most reasonable people get that, that there's not a magic wand that we've made commitments and we have to get out of them or or we have to complete them. All right. So let's get back in, uh, into fixing this problem. So sad grad, first thing you got to do, I think if you're a sad grad, uh, one is sit down and look at the pros and cons of your position. What is, what is bad about where you are? And I only say, the only reason I say what is bad about where you are is because it should unlock what your needs are to improve. What What's not productive is just going, oh, this sucky and this is sucky and this is the worst and this is terrible. That's not, that's not helpful. But if I say this is what I'm worried about, this is what I don't feel like I'm getting, this is what is scary for me. If I can really – if I can articulate those things to myself, it separates the real – uh, steps we can take from existential anxiety of mm-hmm. being alone. Like it forces me to get real about what I'm not getting or what I'm worried about not getting. And and that can help me, that can help me communicate. So what are the cro- mm-hmm. cons? And then to be fair, what are, what are the pros? Are there pros to working alone? And I would say there, there are pros. Don't, mm-hmm. this is not all negative. There are pros. I'm not saying that way, the cons. And I'm saying every person is going to be different in their pros right. and their cons and, and, and right. what their priorities are. But anyway, but think about it. Things I put on the table and talk about pros and cons. <clears throat> I think for a lot of us, the devil known is easier to handle than the devil unknown. And yep. so when someone says, I want you to go work by yourself, and I have never done that, I don't even know what I don't know. But I have worked with other doctors, and I did that in vet school, and that's not terrifying to me. It's hard, and it's there's some things about it that are scary and challenging, right. but I don't know what solo practice looks like. And that by itself is more terrifying to me than the challenges that I already know. Sure. Yeah. So, that's, that's a super, super smart one. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I just think a lot of times we have this negative reaction to things we haven't done before that seems scary. We just, we haven't done them. You know what I mean? And so the devil unknown is scarier than the devil that we know. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there is grit that comes from working by yourself. There is a man, if you can come out as a new grad and you can teach yourself and you can adapt and overcome and learn and be self-disciplined and conscientious, you know, and you make it go, uh, you're going to be tough as nails veterinarian. You're going to be somebody who is hard to shake. You're going to be somebody who, um, who get, who gets it done. Um, it, (laughs) <laughs> or you're going to be a miserable, terrible, you know, uh, pile of anxiety. It, it depends on the individual. But if you know what I mean, like there is, there is benefit to doing hard things, right? Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I think for, for me, I would say that the statement is very true that there is value to working under pressure. And sometimes the value comes from learning the lesson that you are not the kind of person who thrives in an environment where you are under pressure, but you still learned a very valuable lesson, right? And so I think that, that, that the outcome of working under pressure and being solo may feel very negative, and at the same time, it creates an opportunity for sad grad to learn about themselves and learn whether they can thrive in this environment or whether they are not going to thrive in this environment and get to know themselves um, 
a little bit best. I, I better. I also think that for a lot of us, um, you know, <laughs> poor, poor Jamie Holmes, uh, she puts up with you and I, and <laughs> she puts up with a lot. Um, <laughs> Bless her heart. But you and I are both the kind of people where we work really well under pressure. Mm -hmm. And we work probably our best when someone is holding our feet to the fire. And there are people that are just like that. And so some of the best work that I've ever done has been um, in the in the practice in my personal life in my work life with Uncharted, um, and in my past work lives has been when someone has said, I need you to do this thing and I need it done now, um, that kind of sink or swim environment has been very effective for me. And then I have friends who absolutely cannot like, they are like, you tell them the deadline and the next day they are on it because that kind of pressure sinks them. And I think Mm -hmm. the value of learning that lesson about ourselves as just human beings is, um, I, I can't put a price on the value of learning that. And so I think, for a sad grad looking at this and saying it are, are you feeling like this is an environment you need to walk away from because you've learned that about yourself or are you feeling that because you're seeing it through the lens that you may not be able to change the situation and it feels like a long-term thing, but you haven't done everything to try and figure out, is this a short-term thing to get that you can get out of? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, um, I, I remember uh, it was only about – the time flies by. It's probably about six months ago now. It's crazy. I've said that. We did a major renovation at the VAT clinic. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. major renovation. And we moved back into the treatment room in the space. And everything got set up and all the drawers got taken up. You know what I mean? And put stuff there. And I remember for about two months, I didn't know where anything was. And I was fine with it because I would be like, hey – <laughs> Kayla, where's where are the syringes? Or I would be like, hey, where is this thing? Or hey, where is that thing? And someone would just tell me, or the, or even better, they would get it for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and bear with me, I know that's awful, but that's what I would just be like, hey, where's the thing? Hey, where's the thing? Hey, where's the thing? Right? And after about two months, one day it occurred to me, I still had no idea where anything was. Right? <laughs> I had no idea where even, and I, I was asking for the same things again and again and again, but it was what would happen is my mouth would engage before my brain engaged. And somebody would just tell me, and then I would just do the thing. Only when I decided I was going to stop asking for people or, or for things and find them myself, did I actually learn where everything was, uh-huh. right? Only when I had to be like, all right, where is the thing? I'm going to go. And I would go look through a couple of different drawers and then be like, okay, yeah, yeah, here it is. Right. But when I went and did it myself, that's when I like, okay, this is where the thing is. Yeah. And, and, it, and, I, and I had retention, right, of yep. doing it. Yeah. And that's stupid, but it's true in what mm-hmm. happened. Um, I do think that practicing by yourself and having to make the call and mm-hmm. having to do the thing, I do think that's probably the best way to actually learn and transition, you know, things you know in your brain to things you can do with your hands. Right. And, 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 and becoming truly competent and, and strong in your medicine is yeah. doing it, making, making the call. Um, that said, I think that's a wildly inefficient way to learn. And right. it's also an uncomfortable way to learn. And there's some risks of when you don't take it seriously, you know what I mean? And you don't check yourself and then you make a mistake and no one catches it. That's bad. Right. 
I, I guess my point with this is to say sometimes working by yourself is, um, is important. And I do think that we can grow that way. I really do think, honestly, if you could have a magic wand and create your um, doctor experience, then some sort of a two-month with other doctors, one month by yourself rotation, that would mm-hmm. be the dream, right? Because you suck up the knowledge around you and you have mentorship, and then you're by yourself, and you got to do it. And then yep. you can come back and be like, hey, guys, have you ever had a case like that? Like, how did you do that? You know, like, you, you can still get it. Yeah. But you yeah. still get pushed by yourself. And so I have been a lazy doctor that has leaned entirely on my techs and my colleagues. And I've been an independent doctor that did what I, I did. I ended up working. I worked by myself at a clinic my first year as a vet by myself. And um, it was not a full-time thing, though. It was one to two days a week I was by myself as a new grad. And yeah. it was super stressful. But it also um, made me a lot more confident. You know what I mean? So anyway. Yeah. Yeah, those, those are the pros me, and cons, I guess. For yeah, me. that for, I I would hundred percent agree. I was thinking about it from the perspective of it provides incredible opportunities to learn because if you're the only one seeing all the things, you get to see all the things. And yes. when you have, so we're in a situation at my current practice where I have two newer doctors. I have a doctor who's been out of school year and a brand new grad, and there is two of them wanting to see and do all of the things. And at some point. They don't both get to do all of the things because it just doesn't happen. Whereas if you're by yourself and, uh, you know, a uh, hit by car walks in, it's, it's you, you get to do the thing and you get to, you get to put into application all of the things that your brain tried to absorb in vet school. The yeah. flip side to that is that you don't know what you don't know. And sooner or later, if you're in an environment where you don't have the opportunity to, um, engage with your peers and ask for help when you actually truly need it, that has a huge risk factor and a liability for, for you because you're going to learn solely by making mistakes. And we all know, and all of us working on the medicine side of it feel an incredible pressure because we hold patients' lives in our hands and we constantly worry about making a mistake that would harm one of our patients because our patients are why we're in this field. And so that pressure is incredible for team members and doctors alike. And so I think um, it is very much a a pro and a con. But I think on a personal level, if we really sit down and get real with ourselves, I think that even someone who doesn't know themselves very well should be able to come up with some pros and cons for themselves on a personal level about which side of the double-edged sword they fall more on than the other. You know, is the, are you the kind of person who's going to be overwhelmed and racked with anxiety of not knowing what you don't know? And the, the thought of, you know, potentially harming a patient is going to eat you alive. If so, this is probably not the right environment for you. But if you're on the other side of the sword where you can look at it and feel like, I don't know what I don't know, but I also feel like I could see something as a giant red flag and say, I don't, I can't handle that and turf it when it's appropriate Mm -hmm. and say, I'm going to have an incredible opportunity to learn otherwise, because I'm going to get to see and do all of the shiny things like that might be an environment where you're going to thrive. And so I think the pros and cons list part of it is a huge piece of it. So I think you got to get in the right headspace and then sad grad has to sit down and look at the pros and cons for themselves on a personal level. And then they have to have to move into making some decisions and taking some action steps. Right. I agree. And related to sort of what you were saying too, about um, the big red flag and stuff. I I will say 
when I was a brand new grad and I was working by myself, I generally didn't do surgery. You know, I would generally send surgery to the other clinic because that was one thing I wasn't comfortable with at the time was being in there doing surgery in the building by myself, you know, mm-hmm. and, totally. you know, after a year or two, I was like, sure, I'll totally, you know, this is, I didn't even think about it. I was like, yeah, sure. I'm doing surgery. I've done enough surgery. This is not a problem. But that first year, that was a thing that I did not want to be alone with my hands inside an abdomen, you know, when something else comes in. So anyway, right. you, you can, you can find those things and you can set those lines. All right. That's the pros and cons. So once I've done the pros and cons, which include, um, location and travel time and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what is the compensation package here? Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, one thing that is very true is, you know, sometimes you're working as a second doctor at a busy practice, going to be a single doctor at a solo practice when you're slow can be a massive financial hit. So now you're right. working by yourself and you're taking a, you know, a five digit pay cut, you know, like that's right. not cool. Um, right. You know, those are all real things that we need to lay out and look at and we need to, and then we need to be able to discuss. So the action steps, mm-hmm. what, what do you want? You know, like, what are you afraid of? Like, what do you, what do you like? Are there places where you can compromise? Are there places that, places that they're not? Are you only going to stay if there's another doctor there full time? Before you go talk to the boss, you should have some idea. And I'm not saying get dogmatic and be like, you're going to give me this or I'm going to quit. But right. at least know what's important to you. I, I think a lot of times what happens is we 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 get nervous or we get, uh, we get concerned and we go to the boss and we say, I'm not happy. I don't want to do that. And the boss says, why aren't you happy? What do you, what do you need to be happy? And we're like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I need to be happy, but I'm mm-hmm. not happy. Mm-hmm. And the boss says, well, how can I, how can I help? And you're like, I don't know. I have no idea how you can help, but I'm not, but you have yeah. to help. Um, that's super frustrating for, you know, for the boss. Like I, I, as the doctor, it, it's my part in this to be able to articulate to you what I don't like, what I'm concerned about. And ideally, some ways in which this could be addressed. I don't have to articulate all the ways. And there are things that maybe the manager knows or the owner knows that I don't know that are possible, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I don't know that they'll give me this technician or not. Like, I don't know that, right. you know, I, I don't know. Um, but I at least have to have my head around enough of the detail so that I can say, this is ideally what I would need to be comfortable, or these are the types of things I need to be comfortable. So, what do you want? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I I think that that's super important. And I think SADGRAD knows to a degree that they want some mentorship. I also think that they know that they chose a solo practice in their hometown. They love their clinic and their team. This tells me that this person is um, someone who values relationships and is maybe somewhat of a homebody and wants wants to stick close to home. That's okay. That's important. If that is important to you, you have to figure out how you're going to make it work because the alternative of quitting your dream job because you aren't getting the mentorship potentially means that you're going to have to give that up. You're going to now be commuting. You're going to have a further drive, uh, you know, and all of those other things. And so I think that I think that SADGRAD needs to look at it from the perspective of this does not necessarily have to be catastrophic, but they have to know what they want and be able to articulate that. And to be perfectly honest, if as a manager, you came to me and said, and I would hope to God that as a multi-site, that they have a manager. But if you came to me and said, here's how I'm feeling. This is what I'm concerned about. I would love to talk through 
your pros and cons list and try and figure out what is it that you want. If you can't articulate that, ask for help articulating it. Like sometimes that's the simplest place to start is to say, these are the concerns that I have, or this is what's worrying me the most and mm-hmm. get another person to help you figure that out. Whether it's your manager, whether it's your therapist, um, <laughs> whether it's uh, a trusted, uh, you know, someone you went to vet school with who's in another practice and has perspective you don't have. I think that this is not necessarily something that you can always figure out on your own. And so if you don't know what you want, I think you start with um, asking someone to help you figure out how to articulate that. Yeah. The the next thing that sad grad needs to do is take the goggles off um, and, and fall out of love with this idea. Sad grad is creating a lot of tension and pain for herself by holding on to this as the dream job. So when she says, when do you quit your dream job? I'm like, why have you escalated this in right. your mind to this horrible decision, right? Because here's the thing. If you're working by yourself and that terrifies you and you don't want to do it and there's no end in sight, this is not your dream job. Right. It is is not. This is is a job that has turned into something you don't want. I I think one of the pieces of advice I just want to give uh, to to new grads, and I uh, I actually said this earlier this week uh, when I was was mentoring someone, um, don't fall in love with the idea. Is, a, is something that one of my mentors told me. And I tend to get real fired up about things and I get I just grab onto these ideas and I'm like, this is going to be amazing. And he would say, don't fall in love with the idea. And a lot of times we fall in love with the idea of I'm going to go back to my hometown practice. You know what I mean? And I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, and I'm going to end up owning the whole thing and blah, blah, blah. And we fall in love with the idea. And then when it doesn't materialize, it's just devastating. And the idea of leaving is unconscionable. Why? Because we've fallen in love with this vision, which is not real. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean, which is why I'm giggling, because uh, I can recall very vividly, actually, a conversation where you had this exact conversation, told me, don't fall in love with the idea, and what did I do? I went and fell in love with the idea, and then when when it didn't work out, I was very, very, very upset and devastated, Mm -hmm. and at the same time, it didn't work out for a reason. And so the end result was good. But in that short period of time, I was devastated because I did exactly what you said not to do, which was fall in love with an idea. And I, and I think that that, it sounds to me like that might be a little bit the case here with sad grad, which is that this is the only practice in their hometown. They went to vet school, they came back home. It sounds like a dream to them to be able to work in the practice that is there. Mm-hmm. And, and so to me, it sounds like there's a little bit of love about the idea. And so I think I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. Like you can't, you have to take the goggles off. <laughs> yeah, that, that I, I just, just reading this, I, I think that that's, I think that's a big one here for sad grad is yeah. take the goggles off. We have to deal in reality and, yep. and not morality, not, I think this is where the loyalty plays in. You're not failing these people if you leave. You know what I mean? And they're not failing you if they say, we really need a vet to go out there. And that's what we have capacity for. It's not a personal thing. It's not a failing. They're not betraying you. You're not getting cheated on. uh, And you're not cheating on them if you go somewhere else. It's just like, let's all deal in reality. And that brings me to the next action step, which is uh, one of my favorite questions. What is kind? Right. Right? I think we should all try to be kind. Is it kind uh, for sad grad to not say anything? 
and hate their job until they surprise I quit. Wait. Right? That's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that's that's not good. That's not that's not kind to the practice owner or the practice manager. Yeah. Kindness is being up front and saying, I don't like this. Yeah. I don't like this. And I don't, you know, this is it's just not something I'm really interested in doing in the long term. And I just need you to know that I'm I'm not on board with this. And like I'll I'll help you out. But, you know, we need to get me out of this, you know, or I'm not going to, I'm just not going to be happy. Yeah. And I think that that is the kindest thing you can do is say that. And I think a lot of people get anxiety having that conversation. But I tell you, just for me, when I framed it as what is kind, I say, Stephanie, I just, I really like you. And I just need to be open and honest with you so that you, so that you know kind of where my head is. Mm-hmm. I am really struggling with this. I don't, I don't like it. I don't, as a new grad, it gives me a lot of anxiety. It's just not what I felt like I kind of signed up for. And I know that things happen. I'm not saying it's your fault. You know what I mean? I'm, I don't feel misled right. or anything like that. It's just the way right. things have gone. Right. But I need you to know that this is not working for me. And that's not yeah. an immediate thing, but you need to know that. And, and I think our responsibilities as managers and practice owners on the flip side of that conversation is you cannot receive this kind of information and immediately take it personally and respond to their cry for help with your own cry for help because it will never work out well to you. Yep. And I think one of my one of my superpowers, I I don't I don't take um compliments well at all as it goes. <laughs> you but turn, I, turn real red. Um, I really do. But one of my superpowers is that I, um, I am really good at receiving really bad information and responding in a positive way. And what Mm -hmm. I mean by that is over the years, I have had countless employees tell me, I thought that was going to be the hardest conversation I ever had. And you made that so easy. Because as a manager or practice owner, if a doctor or a team member comes to you with their concerns and you receive the information and you allow yourself to let it be personal and you go, Oh God, they don't like me. I'm going to be screwed if they leave. So why would I, if they're thinking about this, they're going to leave anyways. I might as well start trying to hire another vet. If you catastrophize in that way as a manager owner, when someone shares their concerns with you, it is never going to end well. But if you sit back and say, I really appreciate you sharing this with me because now I have information that I mm-hmm. didn't have before. You have an incredible opportunity to work together with the other person to try and build a solution that could work out to be the best case scenario for both of you to, to go yeah. back to the, the farmer, you know, it could be a scenario where <laughs> the sun falls off the horse and it winds up being a life sparing decision for all of you. Right. But if you don't sit back and take a deep breath, <laughs> um, it it will probably not work out that way for you. <laughs> Just gonna throw yeah. it out there. So this is one of those things that you don't you don't learn to do it overnight. You gotta practice it. But and there are times where I have heard something and I have immediately started to cry or turned bright red and had an emotional response. And at the same time, I have learned to be able to say, okay, I need to take five because I'm not, I just need to process this because I, you know, it's a lot to take in and I want to continue this conversation. So can we just, I need to go outside and like 
to take a deep breath (laughs) and then let's come back and have the conversation. But I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with team members who they thought it was going to be the hardest conversation ever because they were telling me they were going to leave or they were telling me that they were upset about their pay and that they thought that asking for a $5 an hour raise was never going to happen. Like you can't take that kind of stuff personal. And that is a hundred percent true with sad grad here. I think if they sit down and have a conversation with their practice owner or their practice manager, I really, really hope that they have the ability to sit back and say, okay, can't take this channel channel. What Stephanie's telling me, don't take it personal. Just Mm -hmm. listen because life happens. Everybody wants to do what is right and good and kind. And at the same time, what is right and good and kind to me as a person may not be, may not feel right and good and kind to the practice, but it's not personal. Right. It is not personal. So if you're sad grad and you do this conversation, which you need Mm -hmm. to do after you sat and you've thought about it, right? If you have this conversation and you say, this is where I am and this is how I feel. And the kindest thing is for me just to let you know that this is kind of where I am. And it's not critical. I always like to focus on that. It's like, I'm not walking out the door, but I want you to know that this is not working for me. And I really emphasize, we got some time because I don't want them to think this is an ultimatum. It's not right but I need you to hear me and understand where my head's at because then also, uh, then I feel better because I have articulated to you what I've done or or where I am. Right. One of three things is going to happen. Number one, they are going to not take it well. And they're going to say, you're going to work by yourself or you're going to find another job. At which point, you know, exactly where their head is and you know, exactly what the deal is. Yes. And you can unemotionally make your decision. Yep. And it's like, well, I have two options. I can work by myself or I can leave. And then you make the call. Right. You know, and again, I, right. I try not to get upset about it. It is what it is. But at least it's out on the table and there's no like wondering what's going to happen or what they're thinking. Yeah. So they will shut it down and say, nope, you're doing it or you're out. And mm-hmm. that's and that's a, a hard decision. Are you in or are you not? And just make mm-hmm. the call and then do it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's number one. Number two is that they will say, oh, you know, thanks a lot for helping or uh, for telling us this. And uh, we've made a copious notes. And uh, we'll get back to you uh, if something uh, becomes available. And then they do nothing, right? And and nothing will change. And that's the second option. And number three is they're going to say, oh, we hear you. And we're going to try to make some concessions and work with you. And yep. and they may work with you a lot or they may work with you a little. But those are the three options. Something will change yep. for the better. Nothing will change. Or they will tell you what you don't want to hear, which is you're going to do it. And that's the only thing that's available. But no matter right. what happens you have got, uh, you have moved the ball forward. The other big thing is just by having the conversation. To me, I have checked that loyalty box I talked about at the very beginning yes. where I feel loyal to people. I did my responsibility as a, as a loyal soldier, which was to come and say, this is where I am. This is what I'm feeling. And mm-hmm. I felt like I owed you that and I communicated that to you. And that's me doing my loyalty part. And if they decide not to change anything, or if they say to me, I'm sorry, those are the only positions that we have, then at that point, I feel morally free to say, all right, I'm going to (laughs) leave, you know? Um, Totally. And I think, um, to your your point, because that's the kind of employee that I am, if you were a sad grad and you sat down and you said, okay, these are the things that I need to change, and they are willing to have a conversation with you, 
um, step number one was having the conversation. And step number two is then you have the ability to set some deadlines for yourself. And it is okay to set a deadline that says, okay, I feel like I could handle this for six months, or I feel like I could handle this for a year. But if in that time, X, Y, and Z doesn't change, this is not going to work for me. Then you have the ability to set deadlines between now and the end of that time frame to help try and hold both yourself and the practice accountable so that when you reach that time frame, if you sat down and had a conversation with them and told them honestly what was working and what was not working for you, and you gave it your all, for me as a person, as a very loyal person and a very loyal employee, I um, have gone through this in my personal life where I walked away and I didn't have regrets about it because I had had the conversation. I had set the deadlines. The deadlines had come and gone and things hadn't changed enough to meet my needs. And I think away at this point. And I, I think for a lot of us, it relieves that guilt factor feeling like we owe someone else something. Yep. Um, and so I think for SADGRAD, the ability to say, can I handle this for six months? Can I handle this for a year? Especially if they're willing to work with me. And maybe the answer is, like you said, a compromise where one day a week they go to the other practice and that practice is closed or something, you know, that seems fairly simple to start and try meeting their needs. If it doesn't change enough, you only you, SADGRAD, can answer the question of, when is it okay to quit? Because that point is different for everybody. For some people, it may be okay to quit after being left alone for 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> for, for some people, it may be they feel like they could handle it for a year or so, you know, yeah. and everybody's going to be different. One of the big things for me, then this would be the last point that I'll make on this, uh, have the conversation. And I don't think you have to articulate this to your boss or your manager. Um, it's great if you do, and it's great if it opens up and you can say, okay, when do you think we can have these things done? But mm -hmm. uh, even if you don't communicate to the manager, one of the things that I think is very important and it helps me feel good and it helps me do good work right now is to set a reassessment date. So if, I, so if I'm sad grad and they say, yeah, we're, you're out by yourself, and I go to them mm -hmm. and say, hey, look, I'm really not, I'm not liking this. These are the things that I'm worried about. This is what I want to do, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And they say, you know what, we're, we're going to work on that. Well, we're recording this uh, right around the 1st of September. I would probably look at my calendar and say, you know what? On Halloween, I am going to stop and think about where I am and look at right. what they have done. Mm -hmm. And so until Halloween, I'm not going to sweat this anymore. I'm right. not going to beat myself up. I'm not going to worry about it. it I told them. And now I'm going to go to work and I'm going to make the absolute best of it. And whenever anxiety starts to creep in, I'm going to say, you know what? Just make it to Halloween, and then we'll figure out yep. what we're going to do. And yep. that actually frees me up mentally and emotionally to do the work and to not beat myself up and chew my fingernails off every day because yep. I know that I have put time on my calendar to reconsider. And when Halloween comes, I am going to do this. And then we'll see where we are at Halloween. And what may be in Halloween is I'm seeing some forward progress. I'm not happy, but I do believe that Stephanie, my manager, is working hard for me. I am happy enough to stay on for now. I'm going to reassess at Thanksgiving. Yep. And then I'm yeah. going to reassess at my birthday, which is early December. And then January 1. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and, yep. um, and I can make those decisions. But if there's a little bit of progress at Halloween and there has been no more progress in Thanksgiving and I can see that everything is solidifying the way that it is, 
at Thanksgiving, I may say, well, you know what? This is not sustainable. I'm not seeing any more change. This is going to be time for me to go find another job. And the last yeah. thing, as I would say, is uh, after that, once you've decided and say, you know what? This is not sustainable. This is not working for me. Go lay the groundwork. Go find another job. Decide where you're going to go. And, uh, you know, and, and set yourself up for success so that you don't quit and then wonder what you're going to do with your life. Go the yeah. best time to find a job is when you don't need one. So go ahead and start laying the groundwork or where you're going to go. And that's it for me. Totally. All right, my friend. We, uh, totally. I think we I just, uh, I think we beat this into submission. I hope that this helps. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> sad grad. We're rooting for Poor you. I hope everything grad. goes okay. Yeah. I would love to know how this one, uh, works out for sure. All right. Take care, guys. Bye, guys. Guys, that's the episode. That's what we got for you. I hope it was helpful. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you want to hear uh, our thoughts on a problem that you're having, shoot me and Steph an email at podcast at unchartedvet.com. That's podcast at unchartedvet.com, and we'll see what we can do for you. Take care, gang. Be well. Stay safe. Bye.